1: and the host of this show. Forrest Connor, graduated from RPI in 2006 with a dual degree in computer science and psychology. Through the dual degree program, he focused his study on independent film production and has made award-winning short films and web series. In addition, he is a 2014 Fellow at NYU's Cinema Research Institute, where he explored the connections between film and audience through a system of creating common personality types. Forrest currently works at the digital distribution company VHX as a data scientist, where he analyzes both filmmaker and audience behavior, to create insights into effective models of distribution for independent films. Carol, I understand you often recommend VHX in your film classes.
0: Yes, I do, Claire. VHX has a brilliant model for self-distribution. And Forrest, we really thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure.
0: Thank you, Forrest. Okay, well, tell me, what does a data scientist do?
2: It's, it's a funny question. I get it all the time uh, because people uh, – it's a scary-sounding or an interesting-sounding term. Um, but basically, uh, when it comes to things like uh, television and, and entertainment, um, there are a couple things that a data scientist will do. Um, you know, If you are a Netflix subscriber and you see the recommended films that they, they put in front of you, those are crafted by algorithms that data scientists make. Um, Also, if you have heard of the testing that Netflix will do and putting different images up in front of people to see what makes them more likely to select a specific piece of content, um, data scientists are the ones running those tests. Um, but then, you know, in my specific case, um, what I do is I look at the way people are using our platform, um, specifically filmmakers, how they prefer to get their content out in front of their audience um, and I, I analyze what 's working and what 's not working, and then I try and push our product um, in the direction that makes it uh, successful for more people on the average. Um, and then I also uh, reach out to filmmakers and discuss one on one some of the things that we 've seen be successful. Uh, in, in growing an audience for your film and in, in increasing your sales and getting in front of more eyeballs. So um, it's really a combination of analyzing the data and then taking that, making it actionable, and getting it out in front of people.
0: Well, would that data also tell them, look, you've had uh, 50 people come to your website, and, but only 10 bought or three bought your uh, upload? Is that part of it?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we have a a dashboard for our sellers that contains all of the, you know, basically the sales data that we can provide. And one of those is what you're mentioning, a a sales conversion rate. And we know, you know, from analyzing trends across the internet and also across our platform, you know, the average conversion rate is about 2%, uh, you know, on internet, uh, people purchasing things on the internet. Um, So we can compare our platform to that and make sure that we are increasing that two percent to three you know, or four percent. In some cases, uh, for some of our filmmakers, even 10 percent, which is a, you know, a thing that we can report back to everyone individually and say, you're doing a great job. This is much better than the average. Or here are some things you can change uh, so that you can get up above that average. So uh, we like to have our hands you know, sort of out, outstretched uh, to provide that data whenever it's possible.
0: Great. That's really very important. Uh, knowing the analytics is one thing, but figuring out what to do with it is the most important thing. Could you share some of these tips that you do give to filmmakers?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, first I'll, I'll, I'll uh, lobby for, for a piece that I wrote um, at the end of last year. Um, if you go to our website and um, our blog, there is something called 30 Days of Data, um, and these are 30 tips that um, we have sort of analyzed using data points and then presented in more context. So, uh, for, for instance, one of the things that I, um, I love to report is the effectiveness of subtitles. Um, so we see that your, your uptake rate in other countries increases anywhere between 100% to 300% if you add subtitles in that native language. Um, so you know, adding Spanish subtitles um, for a film that is available in Spain, in Mexico, in South America really drives that traffic um, you know, and also increases the likelihood that someone is going to purchase um, another thing that we've seen be really successful is, and this is something that sort of speaks to me personally because I'm, I'm a kid who grew up with DVDs, um, and I love the bonus features on DVDs. I love the, the director's commentary. And when uh, when things move to the iTunes world and the Netflix world, we've, we've kind of lost some of that. Um, but when people release using VHX on their own, Uh, they start re-including things like that. So when people add, um, you know, director's commentary, when they add a bonus edition that has behind-the-scenes features or or deleted scenes, um, people actually choose that version, even if it's higher priced, and especially if it's higher priced, um, at about 60% of the time that they choose to purchase. So it really says something to me um, and also to the filmmakers that um, if I can provide additional content that, you know, I already have, um, you know, because I filmed it when I was making the movie – um, that becomes really uh, important for uh, you know, getting people to not only buy my film but really love it.
0: Well, that's excellent. Um, all right, so there's several things I wanted to follow up on that. First of all, when you're talking about subtitles, um, do you have any idea of the average cost of, let's say, um, a 90-minute film for subtitles?
2: That's a great question. I'm not entirely sure, because it depends on the service that you use. Um, we, had mm-hmm. a, we had a film that released with us early on. Um, named, it was called Indie Game the Movie. It was about the independent uh, gaming world. And I, I highly recommend it. It's a great film. And what they actually did um, was they reached out to their community worldwide, um, provided the transcript of the, the film in English, and asked people uh, to sort of crowdsource the subtitles themselves. And so that actually cost them no money at all. Um, that's that's a, a fantastic way to do it if you have the ability to do something like that. Um, the other side of things is there are, are a couple different services that will uh, charge, I believe, by the minute, um, and it may be up to a couple hundred dollars uh, per language. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure, uh, you know, the, the rates vary per service, um, but the one other thing that I'll mention about that is um, we can we provide you real-time analytics for not only how many people purchase your film, but, but if they watch and where they're watching. So if you happen to have a lot of people watching in Spain and you didn't know that that was going to be something that would happen, you can prioritize uh, the Spanish subtitles based off of that data that we provide you so you don't do it without knowing that there's a reason to do it, which I think is really important.
0: Oh, it is important to know. So you can tell what which countries are watching?
2: Yeah, that's a, a passion project of mine that we just launched uh, not too long ago. In fact, on our blog, I think the most recent post uh, is uh, discussing four ways that you can use um, these video analytics tools uh, to help grow your business and to help spread your film. And uh, and so really working with, uh, you know, our developers here, um, I, I wanted to make sure that people understood uh, where people were watching, what devices they were watching on. You know, was it a phone, a tablet, uh, a connected device on their TV? Um, and then, you know, how far were they getting through the content? Were they stopping after five or ten minutes? Were they watching the whole thing? Um, and then on average, how how, you know, far did they make it and, and did they complete the film so uh, those are the kinds of things that you can see from the analytics data that we, we report and we just started doing that about a month ago so it's really exciting to see people you know uh, discovering it and then uh, seeing what they do with it
0: yes and i wonder how many watch the entire film what percentage you have of that
2: that's a great question, it really depends on the content. Um, we, we also have several people who run web series uh, through our platform, and web series are almost completely watched uh, the entire way through. Um, because first of all, it's, it's serialized content. You know, you're not going to know what's going on in the next episode unless you watch this one all the way through. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's also much shorter content generally, so people are more inclined to watch all of it. I would say for a feature, uh, a 90-minute feature, it depends, uh, but the average is somewhere between, uh, you know, 70 and 80 percent of people will watch all the way through at least once.
0: Oh, that's fabulous. That's a high rate. That's very good. Uh, and well, what are the major countries that you find are watching your films?
2: By and large, our, our major the major country that stands out is obviously the United States. I mean, we have a, a fairly large population and uh, a fairly well internet connected population. Um, but yeah. about thirty percent of our other um, you know of our other uh, viewers come from other countries, and it's predominantly um, the major countries in Western Europe. And then almost surprisingly. Um, Scandinavia is very well represented as is Australia. Um, and in fact, they tend to be more likely to pay for content, uh, than other countries. I think largely this is because in Scandinavia and in Australia, especially, um, prices for, uh, entertainment content are higher naturally. So it's more expensive to go to the movies, um, than it is in the United States. And so if you're offering them, uh, you know, a film to watch for $10, Um, they're much more likely to think that's a good deal than somebody uh, in equal standing in the United States. So they convert at a higher rate, which I think is really interesting. So, um, you know, Europe, uh, Scandinavia, and and Australia are are really, really big in the international scene for us.
0: And Scandinavia, has anyone been changing uh, or adding subtitles in either Denmark or Swedish?
2: Yeah, we've had some. We've we've definitely had people uh, you know, convert to Swedish, Finnish and Norwegian um and, and probably Danish as well. I, I haven't uh, you know, as a person who doesn't speak the language, I don't always look for the subtitles myself, but they are uh they're definitely um important for, you know, films that that specifically reach those audiences.
0: Right. Uh, this is, that is amazing information. That's great. And England? Are, are there a lot sold in England?
2: Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're our second largest uh, market uh, most of the time, yeah.
0: Right. Well, let's uh, talk about web series because your platform would be fantastic for web series. Do they, because um, the cheapest price I saw was what, 6 95 or 99
2: uh, yes. Yeah, so we actually have uh, some people who've sold web series, you know, for a dollar ninety-nine an episode. Uh, you know, it's really whatever price you want. I think the minimum that we uh, allow people to sell for is ninety-nine cents, just because. Um, you know we we do have the credit card processing fees and whatnot that that get taken out. But um, yeah, you know people have been really successful on our platform with uh, Web series. The most notable of which um, is a is a group uh, that was a YouTube channel um, that had been doing a couple series for free um, and then migrated over to VHX uh, to sell the season finale of one of their their episodes. Um, so their, their, their name is Black and Sexy TV. They are a uh, c- comedic and dramatic uh, web series uh, that focus on African-American uh, and you know, culture. And then what they did was they, they gave away an entire series for free, and then they gave away an entire second season of that series for free, um, with the exception of the last episode. And then they came to VHX and, and set up their site to sell that last episode for $3. Um, and they made a substantial amount of money by doing that because they had already given away so much of their content to, free, or, or to their audience for free uh, that it really made sense for those people who were connected and were interested in, in supporting them to pay a, a fairly small fee of $3 just to, to see the final episode. Um, and, and it was a, a massive success for them. And we've seen people you know, replicate that in other ways um, over, the last, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, and it's been really, really uh, powerful.
0: Well, this is there's nothing but growth looking at us from this web series, don't you agree?
2: Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know, people have have sort of adopted this uh, you know call towards a watching things on their their phones and their tablets more frequently, and then b watching content that's shorter in those scenarios. So I think if you're a storyteller and you have an idea for a serialized type of content, uh, doing a web series and then offering people the ability to you know, support that series uh, by paying either a one-time fee for um, you know, for access to the content, or uh, subscribing to a channel um, that you can run on VHX, um, you know that those are both great options for for filmmakers and also for their audience.
0: Subscribing to a channel that you can run on VHS, so can you explain that?
2: Sure. Yeah. So um, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, for for Black and Sexy, the aforementioned uh, YouTube uh, YouTube stars that moved over to VHX. Um, they wanted to be able to charge a monthly fee because they release uh, new content every week and, uh, and quite a bit of it as well. So, you know, it's, it's an ambitious production schedule, um, but they figured out a way to be able to do it and get it out there uh, at a regular basis, kind of like they're running their own TV network almost. So uh, what we were able to do is allow them to charge, uh, I believe it's $7 a month. Um, for their subscribers to have access to all of this exclusive content. Um, In addition to having access just from their computer, uh, we also now started building apps for uh, the iPhone, Android, um, Apple TV, and Roku uh, so that they can have their content on all the devices that you know anyone could anyone could hope for, um, and then those, their audience would be able to experience that. Um, you know, if they're on the train, you know, if they're if they're flying uh, from the east coast to the west coast, wherever they are, um, they can experience their content uh, natively from their app. So um, that has been really successful for them. They were able to uh, leverage their uh, web series into um, actually creating a, a feature-length film uh, that they then released through the service. Um, and having that recurring you know revenue come in every uh, every month means that they understand how much they can spend on production, how how much they can spend on marketing, um, and it's much more uh, steady than if you were just releasing one film at a time. This is marvelous,
0: so they've got a TV show in other words, right?
2: That's exactly right, yeah, and they um they have been so successful at it that um, they even got contacted by BET, who then later picked up three of the series that they had run initially online um, in a licensing deal. So it, it's really, it is all about growth, like you just said. It's, you know, how do I start small, uh, grow my audience, uh, get to the point where those people in the audience are willing to pay, and then get to the point where it's it's so clear that what we're offering is very valuable to them, that I, I can, you know, just I can be approached by a major TV studio or TV network.
0: It's amazing, amazing. I love it. Oh, Was well, she? I think that when you say that you're self-distributing today, you should have your shoulders uh, back and your head high and be very proud of that because that means I know the market, I know the industry, and I am producing and I am self-distributing and I'm making money because too often filmmakers may, uh, spend a lot of time in money making films and they didn't make any money for us because when they did get uh, theatrical distribution, it would happen in areas where their audience wasn't located. So the audience that they wanted to reach never got to see their film. And when all was said and done, they made very little money. Uh, And so it really wasn't worth it. It was a a loss to them, as a matter of fact, from all the time and energy they put in. So now having something like VHX is a bonus for filmmakers. And this should be part of your... um, self-distribution plan. It's the way I see it, right? People come to you and say, this is it. I'm self-distributing and I want to use your service.
2: Oh, that's absolutely correct. And and sometimes, you know, uh, we, we are non-exclusive. So if you want to use VHX, it doesn't prevent you from you know signing any distribution deal that you may have either you know in the US or abroad. Um, it also doesn't stop you from putting your film up on iTunes and on Netflix. And in fact, we think you should do all of these things. Um, there was a, a film called uh, about Minecraft, the, the video game that um, they released it on VHX, got their audience to pay, and then after about a year um, of, of being on VHX for sale, they put the film on YouTube uh, for free. And one would assume, well, as soon as I do that, nobody's going to buy it anymore. But what actually happened is putting it on YouTube for free got more people to see it, and because more people <laughs> saw it, more people were interested in owning it. And then they came back to the VHX site, and we actually saw a sales increase when they released it for free on YouTube. Um, so the the world is not necessarily uh, as straightforward as one might think when it comes to you know uh, what you can you know, what you can sell and to whom you can sell and, and at what point. Um, we even have we, we we do work with some distributors. We work with Draft House Films, um, Oscilloscope, uh, Kino Lorber to a degree, and um, you know they are putting their films on uh, on their on their site that is powered by VHX. Um, so that people can have access to them you know, online, which is really the way people have started to want to buy films and to experience them. Um, and again, it's very easy to go from your laptop to your TV screen nowadays, um, and we try to make that as seamless of an experience as possible. So I think that is uh, one of the benefits of, of direct distribution is that you're, you're everywhere um, all at the same time.
0: Exactly. It's just so much fun. I love it. All right. Well, um, first, we really would like to know how filmmakers can build their audience while they're working nonstop to make their films. I know that that's a key issue, uh, and filmmakers really get upset with me, but this is the first thing that I teach in my classes. The first thing is, who's your audience and how are you going to reach them? That's number one. Uh, But... So this is a hard question, I know, because they can't put all their time into marketing, but they have to put some time into it. So, what do you think are the key things they should be doing while producing?
2: Well, that's a great question, and it's always hard because it's, it's different for every person. But I think that there are some keys that you can take away that are that are um, you know sort of abstract and that you can anyone could use. Um, the first is is start uh, close to you, start with the people who care about you already, your friends and your family um, and and get a count get a count going of of who those people are um, almost you know i'm actually preparing for uh, for my wedding next spring and i'm counting the number of people who are getting invited, and you should do the same thing with the number of people you want to see your film. You should say okay, i'm working on it, uh, I know that I have two hundred people who follow my Twitter, I have three hundred people on facebook I have 30 people that I have the phone numbers of that I could call today and they would buy it online. Uh, I, I want to know who those people are. And then once you do that, um, you need to start to engage them, start to keep them up to date on the pro- product as you're, as you're, you know, composing it, as you're, as you're editing it, as you're, you know, Putting trailers together, get them involved, invested, and have them start to spread the word, um, you know, to their group. So there's a, an idea in, in the world of network theory that you have to engage really every single node that's around you before it's something starts to spread, right? And I think that's true uh, with filmmakers as well. It's it's great to talk to a couple people and your friends and let them know what you're working on, but you really have to talk to almost every single person because you never know who's going to be that one person who really takes the the value of what you're working on, and spreads it to other people. Um, so that's the first thing I would say: is, is be really, really, um, you know, active in talking to the people who care about you. Um, <clears throat> secondly, like you know, understand that it takes a while to build a business, and uh, don't don't think of your film as just a one-time thing. If you're a filmmaker, this is your career. This is your business. Um, And so you're going to have to build over a lifetime of making films, not just for one film. So if you've worked on a short before, if you've done a web series before, make sure you have the contact information of the people who, who liked it, who cared about it, who watched it, um, whether that's going to a screening and getting people to to sign up for an email list on a clipboard, uh, whether they bought something from VHX, we provide you the email addresses, make sure that you keep those people involved in your second, third and fourth uh, films or projects, whenever you get those ready. Um, Finally, I think crowdfunding can be a, a great example of how to engage audiences, especially if you end up featured on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Um, the, the key to that is not worrying about the money necessarily, um, but worrying about the size of the audience. And, you know, The money will come if you have 1,000 people, 2,000 people donating to your Kickstarter. Um, that is more powerful than if you make that amount of money because those people will stay with you through the rest of your career. Um, and then,
0: exactly. And,
2: you're and then absolutely once you have an audience, right. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, you're was, right. Was, but getting <laughs> the audience is the key, and these are good suggestions.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, you know, um, if no one knows who you are or knows anything about your film, they don't have a great reason to to plop down $10, 15 $20 to buy it or, or to watch it. Um, so you want to make it easy. You want to make it easy for people to see the value in what you're providing them and to want to know more about not only that film in terms of bonus content or what else is out there, um, but to know more about you as an artist and as a filmmaker. So, you know, make sure that people can see it, uh, you know, in in ways that work for them, at a price that works for them. Offer rentals. Rentals are great. Offer uh, Give it out for free for a, a limited release or something like that to certain people. Um, just make sure that people have the ability to see it, and then it will grow. Um, and that's what you're really interested in when you start out is growth.
0: Absolutely. Growth. All right. Well, um, can Tell us some of your success stories about filmmakers who use VHX.
2: Yeah. So one of our very first, um, you know, people to use us was uh was a documentary called sound city. And it was about a, a recording studio out in Van Nuys, California. Um, and this was, uh, it, it's an interesting story because it was directed by Dave Grohl, who's the drummer from Nirvana and, and the, the guy behind the Foo Fighters. And so you would think, Oh, he's got a huge audience. Of course, you know, everybody's going to want to see his movie. Um, but the offers he got from distributors were quite frankly not uh not to his liking, and so he decided to release it himself and there's There's a real difficulty in getting people to carry over from someone who likes an artist or a musician uh, to somebody who wants to watch them make a film you know it's it's not necessarily yes. an easy an easy play um so they were able to uh, you know get into some festivals, get some play, and then and it did exactly what i uh, mentioned getting people's email addresses, you know, at the screenings, and and you know, provide them with copies of the film after they'd seen it, and that got people to talk about it, get got them to go to the website, and then got them to purchase it, um, and that was really great. And what they <clears throat> what they then did, which is an example of another thing I was speaking about, is they released something uh, last year called Sonic Highways, uh, which was a television series, got picked up by HBO, but they kept their digital rights. And they released it online, um, both internationally and in the U.S. through VHX. And they reached out to those people who had bought Sound City, um, and told them about Sonic Highways. And that was how they kept their audience engaged with the new projects they were working on um, you know, and, and what they were doing next. So that's a great way, just sort of a, a regular example of, of using the audience you've built to, to continue your career as a filmmaker. Um, and then one of the things that I think is, is really great is how people have used um, our bonus content. One of the things you know I mentioned earlier is um, people who are really invested and really into the content you're making are so happy to pay for more. <laughs> it, it's it's not a, it's not a uh, limiting factor a lot of the time. So we had a, a film called Stripped, which is about the comic strip industry. Um, and it's a, it was a documentary uh, featured a lot of famous uh, comic strip artists. Um, including, uh, you know, the guy who draws Garfield and, and the guy from The Oatmeal, and uh, a lot of people who in that community are very, very famous. And they offered a couple different versions of their film. One was just the basic, you know, you can buy this film for $10. Uh, one was, oh, we have a couple things that are bonus content, so you can buy that for 20 bucks. And then they had something that was called the Super Awesome Deluxe Edition, and that started out with, I believe, 20 hours of additional footage of all the interviews they did for the film. So, if you're a documentarian, you have these interviews. <laughs> you know, it's just it's something that you always record. You cut it up and you use maybe 10 or 15 of each. Um, but they had the full, you know, hour, hour and a half interviews, and they packaged that all together uh, and sold it for $50. And initially, Fantastic.
0: that it's
2: it's an amazing idea. It was really great. Um, and it, it accounted for twenty five percent of their sales but over fifty percent of their uh, of their revenue. so you can take the the smaller subset of people who are incredibly focused and interested in your content, what you're putting out there, and you can you can give them more and they'll happily pay you uh, for the thing that they're interested in right you know everybody who bought it was was over the moon about what they got um, in terms of the access to that content so um, you know reward the fans who are who are your biggest fans and that 's that 's a great way to go about uh about being a success story
0: well, yes, think about it twenty hours of content for fifty dollars i mean that is really reasonable but and the filmmakers have it, and they 've always had it because they some of the people have a hundred hours, you know, because they overshoot. But the point is that there is this bonus money, and it's so important for me to hear you say that that's uh, they're not tight with their money when it comes to paying, going from the seven dollars or the six ninety nine to the nineteen ninety nine. So I've been teaching this in my intentional filmmaking class and telling people that when you are at that interview um you that could be the people that you're interviewing let's say you're at a cancer a doctor's office and they specialize in cancer um ask as many questions as you can keep the camera rolling longer get more footage than you would for the film because you want it for your bonus material that will drive the you'll be able to go up to that twenty dollar or even the fifty dollar price do you agree
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's not just limited to documentaries. Um, You know, if you're filming, you know, we always say there are three you write if you're writing a narrative feature, you're you're writing three films, uh, the one that you put on the page, uh, the one that you get to shoot in production and the one you finally edit. And so there are going to be differences between those those three things. And a lot of times you have amazing scenes that were in the film uh, that just didn't work when you had to rewrite it in the editing stage. So make sure to include those, and then film yourself talking about it, and say, well, here's what we did, here's why it didn't end up in the movie. Um, you know, do a, a bonus director's commentary where you talk about the film with the stars of the movie while you're, uh, you know, while it's playing. Like I love that. It was one of my favorite things when I was a kid was to watch those um, for some of the movies that I really looked up to. It's how I learned filmmaking to begin with. So I think that's something that people can do uh, that's, that's fairly simple, but does add so much value to their to their work. Yes,
0: it adds value to the work, and it puts money in their pocket to make the next film. This is great. So when a filmmaker wants to work with you, what's the first thing they should do, Forrest?
2: Well, the first thing to do is go to vhx.tv and sign up. Uh, it is, it's free. You, know, you can get started for free. Um, upload you know, a test video, put it on your web page, uh, and start you know, start playing around with it. Make sure everything looks great. All of, our, all of our transcoding specs are on our help guides. Um, and then we also have a really, really great blog. Um, you know, I work with some incredibly talented, incredibly smart writers um, and people who put together some, uh, some really readable, really relatable content. So if you head to uh, vhx.tv slash blog, um, you can read through some of the things that we have done in the past about content we've worked with or about you know, uh, data points that we've come up with that can help uh, you, know, you as, as a filmmaker and also you know, sort of growing your business. Um, I would say sign-up and read-up are kind of the, the best ways to get started.
0: <laughs> sign-up and read-up. I love it. Okay. That's great. And how long uh, should filmmakers plan? Um, how much time would it take to get their film uh, uploaded in the way uh, with you? I mean, you just said they could t- upload a test reel. So if they decide they want to give you their feature or their feature doc, how much time and what is involved in that?
2: yeah, so once you sign up, uh, you can upload your video right away. Um, and then it probably would take you know uh, less than an hour to get it uploaded and transcoded. Um, we'll you know you can go away and do other things, make some tea, you, know, and then uh, come back when it's ready to go. Um, if you have all your assets ready, your your artwork, your poster art, it's really easy to make the website. it's uh, we have templates that you can drag and drop uh your your artwork into and you know it's it's feasible um if you're ready to go that you can get your website up looking professional in under 24 hours so you could you could start today and launch tomorrow uh, if you were if you were ready to go
0: so and do you have tips too on how to build the website and what works
2: we do, yeah. So we work with, um, you know, our designers are, are, you know, some of the best in the industry, and they focus on making sure that our templates are, uh, you know, really specifically working towards increasing that conversion rate, so making sure that not only is the price visible and up front you know, on top of what we call the fold, um, but is also a very clear uh, designation of what you're offering people, so what's in the bonus edition, what's in the you know, premium de- edition, um, and then also you know, putting your trailer up front, because when it comes down to it, that's really what people want to see is the video content, so we make sure that that is you know, first and foremost uh, in, in the themes. So you know, you choose your theme, you upload your content, you add some really splashy artwork, put a trailer up there, um and you are you know you're easy uh, easily ready to go as soon as as soon as you get started
0: wonderful well um i understand that VHX was recently acquired by Vimeo so what does this mean for filmmakers
2: yeah, I mean, this is really—it's uh, been really exciting for us, and I think one of the reasons is because we see the opportunity for filmmakers uh, leveraging who either at one point in time leveraged just Vimeo on demand or VHX, now being able to really do both. Um, the difference between our two companies was that, um, you know, Vimeo is is a marketplace for people who uh, you know, want to be seen amongst other films, maybe want to be found via search or browse or recommendations, whereas VHX was really the technology that under that sat underneath people's individual websites. So it's sort of the difference between going to ForrestConnor.com and finding my film or going to Vimeo On Demand slash Forrest Connors film. And what's really great about that is now you can do both uh, sort of working with the same company. So if you want to start your own website – Sign up at VHX, we'll get you started, we'll help you out, we'll give you all the tools and the tips that you need. And then if you say, oh, I also want to be on Vimeo On Demand, we're in the same building. So we just walk right over uh, to our community team at Vimeo and let you talk to them directly about how to get set up and work really well in their marketplace. So it's really, you're just adding another area where people can discover and appreciate your work.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Well, in closing, what advice would you like to give to filmmakers?
2: Oh, it's a great question. I mean, I think this the same advice, every film reminds me sort of of a startup as coming from the VHX world of startups. Um, and what people always say in startup worlds are, you know, um, start early and fail often. So, um, you know, don't <laughs> wait, don't wait until you have this, this perfect film that you're ready to learn how to, you know, how to distribute before you start distributing films. Like, get get some work up there, get get it out into the world, get an audience, get people involved and engaged, try new things all the time. Um, the ones that don't work, get rid of them. The ones that do work, hang on to them and, and grow from that. So um, if you if you're sitting alone in a room writing six features in a row, but you're not out there seeing what works when you actually get your film in front of people's faces or when you get your content in front of people, Um, you're you're missing an opportunity to to learn very quickly. So I think that's the best advice that I can give is just do a lot of things, do them quickly, and then figure out what works best for you.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Now, once again, tell us how they can find you and uh, find VHX and find Vimeo.
2: Sure. Our website is uh, www.vhx.tv. Um, you can also go to vimeo.com if you're interested in their on-demand uh, service. And every, every filmmaker I know knows Vimeo, so uh, you won't have any problems finding them. Um, and if you want to reach me personally, my email address is simple. It's just forest, F-O-R-E-S-T, at vhx.tv. Um, and if you want to reach the, the general world of VHX, uh, you can always reach us at help uh, at vhx.tv.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Forrest. We really learned a lot. We appreciate all the work you're doing to help filmmakers self-distribute and make good income.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it.
0: Okay. Claire, thanks for the show.
1: Oh, yes. And, Forrest, um, very much appreciate everything that you shared. Thank you, too, Carol.
0: Okay. Bye for now.
1: All right. Be well, Thank everybody. you,
0: Forrest.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
1: and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com.